last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Austin Safarian Jenkins should be an all-pro in the NFL. And Tony Gonzalez didn't make it as far as he did on accident. It's by accident, isn't it? No, I mean, there were... Isn't it by accident? What do you mean on accident? Isn't it by accident? Yeah, I guess by accident would be right. Are we still recording? And we're blinded by the fleeting hope that Le'Veon Bell could be Ladanian Tomlinson's heir. And but when you see Rob Gronkowski downing two bottles of vodka covered in strippers, <laughs> no one blinks an eye. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Field Goals Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outrage you. And with me is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And tonight we have a featured guest. It is Jacob Rick Road. You can find him on Twitter at Clutch Fantasy. Hey, <laughs> what's up, Jacob? What's happening, guys? I'm thrilled to be talking to you both. Dude, glad to have you on. Matt talks pretty highly about you. I personally don't know a ton about you, so I look forward to this episode. Um, before we get started, is there anything about your profile that you want to advertise right now, let people know where they can find you or shows that you're on or articles? Yeah, I write uh, for Rotoviz. You can find a link on my uh, Twitter, at Clutch Fantasy, to all my work on there. Um, and I do a, a podcast with Graham Barfield. It's called the Fantasy Game Theory Pod. And uh, mostly metrics-based, and, and we get into some game theory. Um, I have a background in high stakes. I've been playing high stakes fantasy for uh, over a decade, and it, it's it, it's pushed me into some interesting areas of strategy. Right on, man. Well, I, I'm looking at an article right here that I kind of wanted to lead off with because it's super interesting, and we were just sort of getting onto this topic off air. I kind of looked over this article, and I had some questions about the values of rookie picks in dynasty startups where where do you value rookie picks in startups well um i've been playing dynasty for several years now and uh, a couple years ago a guy in my league traded des bryant for a couple of firsts which i thought was crazy oh god so i decided to um do some research and find out how often rookie draft picks actually hit and so i went back um, to 2010 and charted how many times a guy hit top 24 PPR. So we're running back, wide receiver, quarterbacks, top 12, tight ends. And what I found was that the hit rate isn't as good as the general consensus of the dynasty community thinks it is. It's about 50% in the first round, meaning 50% of rookies will actually hit. I mean, you can have one season in the top 24, and that includes like guys that just did it one and, and done, like Trent Richardson, Mikel LaShore, job at best. Mikel LaShore was a hit? He he had one year. He was number 18. I know, but that qualifies as a hit, and still first-round picks are only hitting at a 50% rate. That's crazy. Right, right. Yeah, so when, when you break it down, if it's 50-50, and some of those guys, you get later in the first round, and it gets even worse, the second round was about 30% actually hit, and that includes guys that took several years to hit, like Lamar Miller didn't hit till year three, Brandon LaFell 
hit in his fourth or fifth year, Emmanuel Sanders. So really the odds of these guys hitting are pretty slim. And so, you know, I I took that further. I went back to 2000. How many rookie wide receivers hit top 24 since 2000? Only 15. 15. That's it. And three of them were in 2014. So rookie wide receivers, they they don't, they don't produce in year one. That's, that's kind of a given. No. And they they usually take two or three years to hit. Um, running backs had a little bit better success rate. 33 rookie running backs since 2000 have hit, meaning they, they produce a top 24 PPR season as a rookie. But by and large, rookies don't do very much. So when I'm doing my startup draft, why the hell would I spend a second, third round pick? on a player that could be a complete bust. And I saw it in my own drafts, you know, Monty Ball, who's a third round pick. He isn't, he didn't never did anything. So mitigate the risk, take rookies out of the equation. I go zero rookies, zero rookie meaning like zero running back doesn't mean I don't draft them. It just means I, I don't draft them early. And if they, if a draft is a, is a stock portfolio, if you will, and your, your big money, your, your heavy investments are the early picks. Why would you draft a startup company? Why would you take a, a company coming off the ground? You're, you're going to take companies like Coke, Google, Apple, you're proven companies early. And then later on, you can use that, the later picks to take those rookies because there's nothing worse than having like a second or third round pick bust. So, you know, and I did a couple drafts this year and, and, you know, Corey Coleman, I, I know we're going to talk about him later. He went in the third round. That's crazy to me, it, especially if you assume that he's going to do nothing in year one, meaning he's not going to have like a truly week to week relevant season because so few rookie wide receivers do. I mean, he's the one guy that might have weekly fantasy relevance, but then, uh-oh, Josh Gordon is reinstated, so it might not happen for the entire season for Corey Coleman. We don't know yet. It was just as interesting that 50% of first-rounders hit as it was that a much lower percentage of rookies hit. And that's very important because... Annual resale value is something we talk about on this show. His production in the next year is what will drive his resale value in trade. So even if you pick that Emmanuel Sanders, that's technically a hit, but his resale value is close to nil for years before he's usable or has trade value. So you have to factor in that carrying cost to the rookie pick that you're selecting, which is just a greater disincentive to not draft rookies in your startup until the later rounds. There's going to be some undervalued rookies that leak into the later rounds that have interesting profiles that you're going to want to take flyers on. We've talked about Daniel Lasco on this show. Daniel Lasco is someone that lasts till the end of a startup who has an interesting profile. And if something happens to Mark Ingram, we could be in business with Daniel Lasco. But investing a second, third, fourth, fifth round pick in a startup on a player that's completely unproven who could be Nelson Aguilar makes no sense. 50% of players in typical draft classes are Nelson Aguilar's and Brashad Perriman's. Right, and most people just think of Julio Jones and A.J. Green. Those guys are generational-type talents that don't come around in every draft. I, I feel like I need to remind people the 2012 draft had two wide receivers, two. That's it. 
And T.Y. Hilton was like a fourth-round rookie pick. Yeah. He, it was T.Y. Hilton and Alshon Jeffrey. So not all draft classes are equal. Um, there's there's not always an A.J. Green. And the 2014 class is going to be one of those classes we look back and, and we'll never see it again. I mean, for that many guys to hit out of it, you know, what's more likely is to have a Golden Tate hit, you know, in year four. So the real value for me is in those second, third-year guys, like a, a John Brown-type player, before they start to go Antonio Brown. You know, Demarius Thomas was year three before he hit. How many people dumped him? So many people sour on wide receivers after two or three years. We've talked about this with Marcus Whedon. We've talked about this with Terrence Williams. These were highly regarded prospects once upon a time that everyone has forgotten about and soured on. But if you go back and look at their profile on playerprofiler.com, you're like, whoa, this guy has a 90th percentile Spark X score? Marcus Whedon? What? Terrence Williams was completely dominant at Baylor once upon a time? Yeah, he was. Sometimes it takes time for some of these guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Golden Tate and on down the line. And they're such good values in dynasty startups because you can take them in the middle rounds and they're seasoned. They've had multiple years of experience at the NFL level developing. Sure, developing with 700 yard seasons, but developing with an eye to the future of one day having that opportunity being thrust into the starting lineup with Ben Roethlisberger and boom. Right. And so it's just, I think the transition for wide receivers is underrated. You know, people don't realize how difficult it is to take that next jump. And that's why guys take two, three years to do it. I mean, Devontae Adams, second round pick, great college. He goes with Aaron Rodgers. What happens? It didn't happen. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? It should have worked and it didn't work. So I wasn't one of those guys stuck with Devontae Adams as like a fourth round startup pick. And, and because of it, my teams are winning the first two years. You know, my 2014 startup draft, I picked no rookies until round 12. And, and that team has gone 12 and one and 11 and two. Most points, best record two years in a row. I mean, and I didn't even ha- I don't even have a Sammy Watkins on that team because I didn't take a rookie. How, how is that possible? It's possible by winning with players like Golden Tate. Now, When we talk about the running backs, they do ascend faster than the wide receivers. I think this is well known. And I was talking on the Football Diehards podcast earlier this week with Nathan Powell, who is a dynasty enthusiast. We talked about all these second-year running backs that everyone is already in a rush to discard. It is amazing how quickly people want to get rid of Amir Abdullah, who was a poor man's Ezekiel Elliott in every way at Nebraska. Melvin Gordon, he's already trash, right? Sure, Matt Jones is the starter, and people are interested in Matt Jones, and they shouldn't be. They're interested in all the wrong running backs. Now is the time you can go out and compile exceptional running back prospects from the 2015 class at a discount from Tevin Coleman to Amir Abdullah to Melvin Gordon and Javorius Allen. All right, so let me let me give you some guys that broke out in year two that were nothing in year one. Yeah, Deuce McAllister was was sixty seven as a rookie. He was the the running back seven uh, in year two. Uh, Rudy Johnson, um, running back twenty one in year two, running back nine in year three. Brian Westbrook was running back eighty three in year one. He was top twenty. Uh, Stephen Jackson did nothing in year one. Frank Gore 
was running back 42 as a rookie. He, he ended up top five at second year. Richard Mendenhall, number 16 running back in year two. Ray Rice. How about Ray Rice? Remember that guy? He was a fantasy stud for a couple of years. Running back three in year two. He was 49 yes. as, as a rookie. Jamal Charles. 54th running back as a rookie. He was running back 11. He didn't even touch the ball that much in year two. My favorite, Arian Foster. Absolutely nothing as a rookie. And in year two, he's the running back one overall. (laughs) That's an awesome stat. (laughs) This is why I've been telling you all to just hold on to Tevin Coleman. When Tevin Coleman is in the game, he is electric. When Melvin Gordon has any kind of daylight, he looks fine, except he was suffering behind the worst run-blocking offensive line in football last year. Amir Abdullah is on the Lions. That's challenging for anyone who finds themselves on the Lions. It's a tough place to be a rookie Lions player. So give Amir Abdullah the benefit of the doubt. My God, Javorius Allen finally got an opportunity, and the quarterback handing the ball off to him was some unholy combination of Jimmy Clausen and Matt Schaub. Those were the quarterbacks keeping defenses honest, keeping them off their toes so they couldn't smash into the line and tackle Javorius Allen. I mean, it's just amazing what kind of value you can find in these second-year running backs and these third- and fourth receivers. I agree with you, Jacob. How does this apply to rookie drafts, however? Are you also trying to trade away your first rounders because their hit rate is lower than people think? Yeah, I, I do it almost every year. In fact, last year, um, you know, it's great when you're in the middle of the season and you need some help. Last year, I traded my first round 2016 pick for CJ Anderson and Chark West. And that worked out really well. I, and that, that it ended up being a late pick anyway. So if you're going to the playoffs every year, you know it's going to be a late first, which has a much lower hit rate the later it gets in those rookie drafts. So you might as well cash out when you can for some guy that's hoping for the next Julio Jones. So at that point, if you're giving up, you know, first round picks to acquire these, you know, veteran players or players that are are playing well in season that people are ready to give up on or whatever for that first round pick. What are you doing with your second round pick? If we know that these first round picks have a low likelihood of hitting, are you just scratching lottery tickets with your second and third? Or do you have a theory or something you like to do with those picks? And, you know, the, the third round pick and later was a total crapshoot. In fact, from my research, I found that um, third round or later was absolutely awful. 20 players out of 288 rookies drafted since 2010 actually hit in the third round or later. I mean, that's horrible. I mean, you talk about a low percentage shot. I almost always trade third, fourth rounders because they're not worth anything. So if I can get a, a Jason Witten, you know, an older guy like that, I'll give up a third, fourth rounder. Full disclosure, last couple of years, I have been on an incredible run with third and fourth round picks. I mean, it's just been incredible. Every player I pick in the third and fourth round turns to gold. Two years ago, it was Charles Sims, John Brown, Martavis Bryant, and Jeff Janis. Now, I know Jeff Janis isn't gold yet, but all of those players have hit as far as I'm concerned. And then last year, I hit on Carlos Williams and then was able to trade him in many leagues, thankfully, sign of the cross. So I've been very lucky in those particular rounds lately, but 
I'm also aware of the probabilities because your work on Rotoviz was featured in my book, The Dynasty Dominator. You should go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides and download The Dynasty Dominator. It's also available on the Kindle. Go get that book. It's a 120-page strategy guide, and it features a handful of chapters that reference Jacob Rickroad's work and his findings are the underpinning of the strategies and the precepts and the tactics that we lay out in the book. One of them is actually compiling the second rounders because the second rounders are often throw-ins and trades, but their hit rate isn't negligible. Remember 2014, Devontae Adams, he's being drafted in the first round. Who's being drafted in the second round? Allen Robinson, Dante Moncrief. So those second rounders that you could get as throw-ins or add-ons were yielding players better than a lot of the players that were going in the first round because if it's out Outside the top five picks, it might as well be a second rounder. It's that kind of crapshoot. Look at it this year. You have Ezekiel Elliott, who a lot of people are pretty sure is going to be fantasy viable soon. Corey Coleman, fantasy viable soon. Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell, and there's a lot of enthusiasm about Sterling Shepard. After those players, the value of those picks falls off a cliff. And you'll see that more often than not. Next year, it could span the entire first round because the draft looks deep now, but the tape grinders have yet to have a chance to dig their heels in on these players and start to critique their style of play. We will soon be hearing how upright and slow and stiff Leonard Fournette is. Trust me, it's coming. He's going to get the Derrick Henry treatment. But for now, people are buying all the 2017 picks, even the late first rounders, and they're willing to pay a lot for those. So have you already sold your first rounders in 2017, Jacob? Um, I haven't in all my leagues, but I I did in both startups that I did. Because those 2017 future picks are worth gold in a startup. I ended up trading a bunch. I, I traded down. I ended up getting four picks in the first two rounds. What? Because of uh, giving away my 2007. <laughs> what? Yeah. So I traded. I had the 102 and I traded down and I, I can't explain it. It's too long, but I ended up getting the 112, 201, 204, 29. In a startup? And, uh, it worked out really well for me. So I, I was happy to give up my 2017 first for that. I hate Dynasty League so much. This is this was a two hundred fifty dollar league too. This is not like a your your next door neighbor's league. You know, this was the FFPC league. So, but you people are crazy for these two thousand seventeen firsts. They'll do anything for them. They must listen to Under the Helmet. <laughs> no comment. Oh, no comment. All right, so let's pivot. I want to talk about Dynasty roster construction blueprints. So I like to build my team as follows. Robust wide receiver. Trade out of the first round. Compile some extra second and third rounders in your startup draft. Compile a strong, deep group of productive wide receivers. Anchor it with a quarterback like a Russell Wilson. We've talked about him on this show. He's my ideal target. You can still get him outside the first few rounds. And he's your set it and forget it for 10 years quarterback. So I love Russell Wilson in Dynasty. And then wait into the later rounds and you can start to stockpile those lotto ticket running backs like Jarek McKinnon. And that's when you can also pick up some rookie running backs that do not yet have the buzz, but they have the athleticism on playerprofiler.com. What's your strategy, Nate? 
Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm similar to you in some of the ways, not so much into trading away picks if I'm confident in what's in front of me, but I'm similar with a heavy wide receiver approach off the start. Um, I definitely don't shy away from young, proven players. I mean, in a startup, I'm definitely looking at guys like Allen Robinson and players of that caliber. Um, really? Allen Robinson appeals to you? I'm just saying younger players. That's shocking that you would go for an Allen Robinson. That's a real sleeper, Nate. That's a real sleeper in Dynasty Leagues. Wow, I can't believe that you're into Allen Robinson. What do you like about Allen Robinson? Why would you target him? That's weird. I like uh, inefficient Drew Brees is throwing the ball to players. That's a throwback <laughs> for the listeners. So anyways, right. I, I like the younger players that have been proven. Obviously, um, I'll take veterans, but I'm sort of an asset value hunter. I like players that in the future I can flip that still have that value. I realize we're going to talk about guys like Vincent Jackson, Larry Fitzgerald, older players that can still produce. Their roles are changing. Um, they'll definitely be productive going forward. We don't know when their final years in the league will be, but these are the types of players that will play deeper into the NFL career than guys before them. But I like being able to flip players after the fact. I'm not so much of an in-draft trader. Uh, But in terms of running backs, I'll take my shots on some veterans to anchor my backfield. And then similar to Matt, I like the lottery tickets for running backs. Tight end, I'll stream it, most 12-team leagues. And then in a start one quarterback league, unless an elite quarterback's falling, which generally they're not, I'll wait to take my picks. I, I still like guys like Derek Carr, Carson Palmer's available. So you could even stream quarterbacks, really, but you can find quarterbacks later. What's your strategy, Jacob? Well, my general strategy is to win every year. Uh, I build my team to make the playoffs every year. Um, I don't gamble early, meaning I don't take those startup companies like we talked about, which means I'm not touching guys that are totally unproven. Um, I wouldn't even touch Dante Moncrief early. Not that I don't like him, but... So, for example, you wouldn't draft Amari Cooper? Um, I can't say that. It depends. Like, he's going to go earlier than I want, yes. Yeah, yeah. But he's, but he's one of those few where his college resume is as proven as it gets. I, I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I love him. And he, he was one of my favorite rookies ever. He had Femanium Index Star, early breakout age. Love all that stuff. But generally, like, I'm trying to win the first two, three years, so I'm not hesitating to take A.J. Green, Des Bryant at the end of the first. I love going after players that are dominating their position. I have Gronk on several teams. I have Jimmy Graham on several teams because of that. Um, and like you guys, I'm not touching running backs generally until way later, and I usually just stockpile running backs between rounds 10 and 15 um, but, you know, getting players that dominate their position is a big one. So if I see an elite quarterback, especially a guy like Luck or Wilson, and you're sitting in the fourth round when there's some questionable players going off the board. That's it. That's it. I like that. I drew, drew Brees in 2013, and I haven't looked back. That's it. The anchor quarterback is one of the underrated tactics in dynasty leagues. If you're trying to make the playoffs every year, having a quarterback that's got a high floor is going to get you there. You're just going to win more weeks and get to the playoffs. Because once the playoffs happen, anything goes. I mean, I've seen some dream teams get crushed in the playoffs. This is like a two, three-week playoff. So my goal is just get in the playoffs every year and let the chips fall where they may. And having an elite quarterback, um, having guys that are dominating their position gives me a better chance to win more weeks. 
I'm frankly surprised that you guys aren't trading out of the first round. For me, what you can get back for a first-round pick, it's almost automatic that you trade out of the first round considering what you can get back. Multiple early-round picks, you could essentially lock in three really good wide receivers for one elite wide receiver. I'm always making that trade. Absolutely. Always trade down and up. You want as many picks as you can in the top 50. And and that's worked great for my last startup. I got Des Bryant, Gronk, DT, and Cobb. That's a pretty good start, right? <laughs> Wait, so Des Bryant was outside the first round? He was 201. So I had the, I had the end pick and I got Gronk and Des Bryant. Wow. Yeah. Des is one I don't understand because the guy was like a top three pick a year ago. Same with AJ Green. AJ Green was like the, the, he was the wide receiver one for years and suddenly he's fallen behind some of these younger guys. I, I get it because of age, but the guy still nails, man. I mean, I see, I think he's got two, three years left. And if I can get a guy with two, three years of top wide receiver one production, I'm just, I'm going to win more leagues. Because of the over-exuberance that follows youth around Dynasty Leagues, those Devontae Parkers and Amari Coopers and Mike Evans, they float into the first round. But what necessarily happens when those players float into the first round? <gasps> A.J. Green falls out of the first round. T.Y. Hilton falls into the third round. Golden Tate falls into the fourth round. Jeremy Macklin falls into the fifth round. <laughs> Uh, yep, Cordero Patterson, two years ago, he was a second-round pick. I uh, gladly took Brandon Marshall one pick later. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Trade your first-round pick, and you can get some basket of T.Y. Hilton, Golden Tate, and Jeremy Macklin. Cha-ching! It makes sense to trade away that pick to, to maximize that value and get more selections with it. Sometimes it's hard to turn away a, a proven elite player, but I'm with you. If if giving up a guy like Mike Evans or if somebody's really wanting that pick for a guy like that means I'm going to get Golden Tate and I'm going to get Brandon Marshall, then that's a trade I'd definitely make. Thank you. When we're looking at those running backs late, that basket of running backs, that giant basket of running backs, I feel like with running backs, we're going to Costco to get the running backs and we're just loading up the truck. I have dynasty rosters where I own more running backs than wide receivers, but because all the wide receivers are Golden Tates and Jeremy Macklin's, I can afford to do that because most of those wide receivers are set it and forget it weekly players, and the running backs are just there to pop when the opportunity arises on their depth charts. Who are a couple late-round running backs you're targeting right now, Jacob? Besides Buck Allen, who seems to always be available like the 14th, 15th round. Um, I love Tyler Irvin. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin Cole did an article on, on Roto World about, and it gave odds basically for rookies hitting, and Tyler Irvin had one of the highest odds under his algorithm. And, and I'm not a big Lamar Miller fan anyways, so dude can catch a lot. I like him a lot. Um, CJ Procise is another guy that you can typically get. I got him in the 10th round of my startup draft. What? Yeah. Huh? Because of what? Because of a CJ Procise? What does Procise? What? Yeah, he's he's going. And, and, and this was a couple months ago, so maybe that's changed. But... Graham Barfield has a, um, a research thing that he's doing that it's for running backs and it's really cool. And CJ Procise actually rated very high. So Procise is another guy that I like a lot. I like DeAndre Washington. I think he could end up being the starter. 
Graham Barfield's work on Roto World is rookie RB yards created. That's it. Yep. So it's essentially a study of how many yards per touch do running backs create on their own, and that's a key to assigning value to a running back. And a guy like DeAndre Washington is a great example of someone who could have PPR value in year one. So he's both usable as a rookie, and then he has that resale value in year two, particularly if Latavius Murray struggles. And Latavius Murray was inefficient in all phases last year, so it's conceivable that Latavius Davius Murray face plants and DeAndre Washington produces more fantasy points this year. That's in DeAndre Washington's range of outcomes, just like it's in Javorius Allen's range of outcomes that he seizes that number one running back role from the current incumbent, the 31-year-old scat back who's neither fast nor agile, Justin Forsett. And it just so happens that Javorius Allen's already a better receiver than Justin Forsett. So there, it's very conceivable that he captures that job. And these are running backs you're getting in the double-digit rounds. Javorius Allen is the dynasty running back unicorn we're all hunting he has the speed and the size and the all field skill set and he's young like what and he's available in the 15th 16th round of a startup i mean pinch me i mean javorius allen is the unbelievable value in dynasty right now what more do you want what more can we do for you? Every box a dynasty leaguer has ever wanted to checkmark is there in Javorius Allen. I like Buck Allen, but we can't dismiss Kenneth Dixon behind him. I mean, same same draft round, a very similar talent. Guy's got pretty incredible tape. So nothing's a lock, but I definitely think that if anybody's going to jump for set, it's going to be one of those two. It will be, but Kenneth Dixon's going many rounds before Javorius Allen and startups. It's all about value. A value play that I think you like, Nate, is Ryan Matthews. He's everything that Buck Allen brings to the table, except that he's currently the incumbent starter. It's just that he's not young, but he is also an incredible dynasty value right now. Yeah, Ryan Matthews is being dismissed amongst all circles. I know he's got the injury history, and it just popped up again. I think something came up today about a soft tissue injury and that's always the biggest concern for me if you want to go call a guy injury prone let's not list concussions let's not list fractures to the to the clavicle to the collarbone i'm not going to put those in the same category as the soft tissue injury stuff like this is is the biggest concern for me with ryan matthews but yeah for the guy's career he's been a phenomenal running back in whatever backfield he's been a part of last year in limited opportunity which may be a best case scenario for him or maybe what we saw last year was just a a difference of scheme and a difference of opportunity but five yards per carry 20 receptions 539 rush yards he looked really great last year and now there's no demarco murray behind him what do you think of ryan matthews jacob love him i mean he's free i I own him on my sfb team he's he he could be a beast in that offense Uh, i like players that have a history of of uh top 24 seasons and ryan matthews has two He was uh, top 10 in 2011 and top 20 in 2013. So he's a great value running back. Who's your best value wide receiver right now? Really like Torrey Smith. Um, I've never been a Torrey Smith fan, but he's finally come into that value range. Uh, He was actually my third round rookie pick this year, if you can believe it. This is a rookie veteran. (laughs) 
what? What? Huh? Um, draft. And he, yes, and this was pretty common. I've, I've seen it in other drafts too. Uh, I mean, and this is a guy that could be the number one receiver in a Chip Kelly offense where the last three years, Chip Kelly's had a top 15 PPR receiver. Kind of love it, right? Uh, can we just go into outer space? <laughs> And move the planets around a little bit to ensure that an asteroid gets deflected towards Earth. And that even if we all die, we assure that dynasty leagues are all destroyed because of this. <laughs> I don't have the capability to do that, but fine. Whatever it takes, I don't care about the collateral damage. I just want all dynasty leagues to go away. When I hear that Tory Smith is drafted in the third round of a rookie startup, that someone wouldn't retain him, and then the owners of 12 teams would let him slip into the third round, my brain is melting and leaking through my ear holes at this very moment. Well, another one that we talked about a little bit last week and we've harped on before, and I'm looking at the DLF ADP for startups, and this guy's actually going after Tory Smith, and that's 25-year-old Marcus Wheaton. Oh, God. What? This is just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just... Stupid. I hate you all. So I love, I love what... It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. What Jacobs brought to the table, this is one thing that we really haven't focused on as, as hard as we are tonight because you've put some stats to sort of what we've already kind of used as theory. But the idea that, you know, Tory Smith is not a sexy name. It, it hasn't been a sexy name for a little while, but Tory Smith is an extreme value. Marcus Whedon is an extreme value. These guys that are kind of being pushed out of the top. By tons of rookies, I'm seeing Laquan Treadwell, Corey Coleman, you know, two, three full rounds ahead of these guys. Guys that we haven't even seen on an NFL field yet. We don't know. Michael Thomas is going before these proven players. Michael Thomas and his 21-year-old breakout age is going before Torrey Smith, who has been a perennial WR2 and is now the number one wide receiver in his prime, tethered to Chip Kelly. What the hell is happening? He's He's been no worse than the wide receiver 30 in four out of five years. Last year was the first year he did not break the top 30. I'm going to shatter my fucking monitor right now. <laughs> And it's all of your fault because it's not just one guy going, oh, I guess I don't like Tory Smith. No, the way Tory Smith falls into the third round is that 12 people go, and I just want to strangle that I think there's some bias for the San Francisco 49ers offense, too. I realize things have changed, but I, I think there's a recency bias and sort of a misguided association a lot of times. I like Torrey Smith, and I love the value there. But like Jacob said, if you go look at his profile, his body of work, why is he not being drafted higher? I have a feeling that it doesn't have as much to do with Torrey Smith as it does with him and the situation that he's in and the team that he's on. I've seen ridiculous trades, contenders acquiring Danny Woodhead, Ryan Matthews, Chris Thompson for literally nothing. Late round rookie picks that, as Jacob said earlier, will amount to nothing. Same thing at the wide receiver position. Kamar Aiken, Rashard Matthews, Jermaine Curse, players who have a high likelihood of being productive, if not every week, 
for a swath of weeks during the season being acquired in Dynasty Leagues for next to nothing. And it's just maddening. And so I am going to strangle this microphone and rip it out of the stand and just hit myself over the head with it until I lose consciousness. That's going to happen. So in order to not allow that to happen to me, we need to end the show. And I need to ask Jacob one more question because I am interested. Outside of CJ ProSize, and I know you already mentioned DeAndre Washington, but I am always trolling the end of rookie drafts for that next Charles Sims fourth round rookie. Who is it this year, Jacob? I do like Daniel Lasco. I have him on a couple teams. You know, the Saints, <gasps> the Saints throw a lot. In fact, they supported two top 24 running backs several years in there between Pierre Thomas, Darren Sproles. You know, so I think there's room, even with Mark Ingram there, I think there's room for somebody else. I, I got to admit, though, I do have Spiller in a few spots. I'm still holding out hope. But Daniel Lasko is a guy that I'm kind of throwing in there because he's got all the measurables and he can catch. Okay, I am not going to flail myself with my microphone. That just made me so happy. (laughs) Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a blast. Yeah. Hey, Jacob, one last time. Do you want to uh, advertise your show and your Twitter handle and let everybody know where they can find you and find your content? Sure. Check me out at Clutch Fantasy. There's a link on there that'll take you right to my road of his work. And uh, you can uh, check out the Fantasy Game Theory with me and uh, Grant Barfield. Right on, man. Well, we appreciate having you on, man. You did an awesome job. Thank you. All right. Thank you both. Thanks, buddy. This guy's actually going after Torrey Smith, and that's 25-year-old Marcus Wheaton. Oh, God. What? This is just ridiculous. (laughs) Stupid. I hate you all. What? Yeah. Huh? Because of what? Because of a CCR process? What? Is a process? What? Have hit. Yeah, as far as... Yeah, as far as... We have never used those same exact statistics that he pulled tonight. Those, are, those We talk about this. We talk about this. But You are afflicted with podcast amnesia. It's a fact. It needs to be diagnosed. It's not a fact because you're always telling me that I am, but we're not citing anything to actually prove it. Innocent until proven guilty. I feel this feels like the only child syndrome. What? Yeah. Huh? Because of what? Because of a CCR process? What does a process? What? Honestly, it is the weirdest thing watching someone that has podcast amnesia interview someone and have them say things that I said two months ago and you to react as if it's the first time you've ever heard. Uh, can we just go into outer space <laughs> and move the planets around a little bit to ensure that an asteroid gets deflected towards Earth 
And that even if we all die, we assure that dynasty leagues are all destroyed because of this. We talk about this sort of stuff all the time, but we don't necessarily put the stats to it. What are you talking about? We've done shows where I laid out those exact same stats. Those are in my book. We've done those shows. Where were you when those shows were being recorded? What? Yeah. Huh? Because of what? Because of a CCR protest? What does a protest? What? Four-way stop, and there was three cars at it, and everybody was waving the next guy on. And so I'm just like, ah, I just kind of backed off for a while. I'm going to shatter my fucking monitor right now. (laughs) No, I'm not! Yes, you are. You feel like an only child right now, and I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Look, Matt... You are a phenomenal analyst. Okay, stop. Well, I'm stopping you right now. I'm stopping you right now. What? What? Uh-huh. I feel like with running backs, we're going to Costco to get the running backs, and we're just loading up the truck. What? Yeah. Huh? Because of what? Because of a CCR protest? What? Is it protest? What? I told you he's the one that wrote the articles that informed my strategy. I don't know what we're talking about right now. I realize this. I agree. I'm with you. Where do you think I came up with these rules of thumb? You think I just made it up? Of course not. What? Yeah. Huh? Because of of what? Because of a CCR protest? What? Is it protest? What? I think that you are a connoisseur of the super specific stats. So if a guy throws at you 45.2%, I think you're like, oh, wow, that was cool. This feels like an only child. (laughs) What? I'm not not being defensive. Um, I love Tyler Irvin. Oh, yeah. Fuck, my mic is muted. Christ. Have you been talking this whole time, Nate? No, I was. I said Buck Allen like 27 times, and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? This guy being a total piece of shit right now? I am a total piece of shit, but your mic was muted. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Go on with your story. The people want shows, dude. I know they want shows, man. They're beating down the door for more of them. I wouldn't say they're beating down the door. That's a little extreme. It, I kind of feel like uh, oh, uh, Daenerys Targaryen. I, I just feel like they're, people are just coming back on bended knee. I didn't know that you had dragons under the city. I'm sorry. Did you, did you tell them we're not going to turn away the cannons, though? Did you let them know? Yeah. Fucking asshole. God, I'm such a jerk. I, I felt like that arrogant preacher. You know, what's his name? Joel Olstein. You know, sometimes I feel like Joel Olstein. I just feel like, just this is just gross, what I'm doing. You're the Howard Stern. People either love you or hate you, right? There's not a lot of in-between. Have you listened to our show before? Yes. It's been a while, though. Okay, that's fine. That, that's all right. Same with me. Uh, so we're gonna- <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like self-deprecating Nate List. That's not good. That goes counter to the show's premise. I don't like self-deprecating Nate List. That doesn't work. Are out in front making fun of yourself, then I can't... I don't have any room to maneuver. Right. <laughs> right. We've been saying some version of rookies are overvalued for 20 straight fucking shows, Nate. Have you not listened to one of the shows? I know you don't listen to the show frequently. Swaths of the show go by, unbeknownst to you. That's it? Right, I'm taking, I'm starting this thing. I'm starting it off. We will get into this on the show. We're never going to get to the rest of this stuff. There's no exuberance uh, over the rookies, and typically 
You're going to end up taking less rookies than normal. Jesus, here we go. All right. Jeremy Macklin falls into the fifth round. (laughs) 